Part two of The Grey Mills of Farley by Sarah Orrin Jewett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The agent of the mills was a single man, keen and businesslike, but quietly kind to the people under his charge. Sometimes, in times of peace, when one looks among one's neighbors, wondering who would make the great soldiers and leaders if there came a sudden call to war, one knows with a flash of recognition the presence of military genius in such a man as he. The agent spent his days in following what seemed to many observers to be only a dull routine, but all his steadiness of purpose, all his simple intentness, all his gifts of strategy and powers of foresight, and of turning an interruption into an opportunity, were brought to bear upon his dull routine with a keen pleasure. A man in his place must know not only how to lead men, but how to make the combination of their force with machinery take its place as a factor in the business of manufacturing. To master workmen and keep the mills in running order, and to sell the goods successfully in open market, is as easy to do badly as it is difficult to do well. The agent's father and mother, young people who lived for a short time in the village, had both died when he was only three years old, and between that time and his ninth year he had learned almost everything that poverty could teach, being left, like little Maggie, to the mercy of his neighbors. He remembered with a grateful heart those who were good to him, and told him of his mother, who had married for love but unwisely. Mrs. Kilpatrick was one of these old friends, who said that his mother was a lady, but even Mrs. Kilpatrick, who was a walking history of the corporation, had never known his mother's maiden name, much less the place of her birth. The first great revelation of life had come when the nine-years-old boy had money in his hand to pay his board. He was conscious of being looked at with a difference. The very woman who had been hardest to him, and let him mind her babies all the morning, when he, careful little soul, was hardly more than a baby himself, and then pushed him out into the hungry street at dinner-time, was the first one who beckoned him now, willing to make the most of his dollar and quarter a week. It seemed easy enough to rise from uttermost poverty and dependence, to where one could set his mind upon the highest honor in sight, that of being agent of the mills, or to work one's way steadily to where such an honor was grasped at thirty-two. Every year the horizon had set its bounds wider and wider, until the mills of Farley held but a small place in the manufacturing world. There were offers enough of more salary and higher position from those who came to know the agent, but he was part of Farley itself, and had come to care deeply about his neighbors, while a larger mill and salary were not exactly the things that could tempt his ambition. It was but a lonely life for a man in the old agent's quarters, where one of the widows of the corporation, a woman who had been brought up in a gentleman's house in the old country, kept house for him with a certain show of propriety. Ever since he was a boy, his room was never without its late evening light, and books and hard study made his chief companionship. As Mrs. Kilpatrick went home, holding little Maggie by the hand that windy noon, the agent was sitting in the company's counting-room with one of the directors and largest stockholders, and they were just ending a long talk about the mill affairs. 
The agent was about forty years old now, and looked fifty. He had a pleasant smile, but one saw it rarely enough, and just now he looked more serious than usual. "'I am very glad to have had this long talk with you,' said the old director. "'You do not think of any other recommendations to be made at the meeting next week?' The agent grew a trifle paler, and glanced behind him to be sure that the clerks had gone to dinner. "'Not in regard to details,' he answered gravely. "'There is one thing which I see to be very important. "'You have seen the books, and are clear that nine per cent dividend can be easily declared?' "'Very creditable, very creditable,' agreed the director. "'He had recognized the agent's ability from the first, and always upheld him generously. "'I mean to propose a special vote of thanks for your management.' There isn't a minor corporation in New England that stands so well today. The agent listened. We had some advantages, partly by accident and partly by lucky foresight, he acknowledged. I am going to ask your backing in something that seems to me not only just, but important. I hope that you will not declare above a 6% dividend at that director's meeting. At the most, 7%, he said. What? What? exclaimed the listener. No, sir! The agent left his desk chair and stood before the old director as if he were pleading for himself. A look of protest and disappointment changed the elder man's face and hardened it a little, and the agent saw it. You know the general condition of the people here, he explained humbly. I have taken great pains to keep hold of the best that have come here. We can depend on them now and upon the quality of their work. They made no resistance when we had to cut down wages two years ago. On the contrary, they were surprisingly reasonable. And you know that we shut down for several weeks at the time of the alterations. We have never put their wages back as we might easily have done. And I happen to know that a good many families have been able to save little or nothing. Some of them have been working here for three generations. They know as well as you and I and the books do when the mills are making money. Now I wish that we could give them the 10% back again. But in view of the general depression, perhaps we can't do that, except in the way I mean. I think that next year we're going to have a very hard pull to get along, but if we can keep back 3% or even 2 of this dividend, we can not only manage to get on without a shutdown or touching our surplus, which is quite small enough, but I can have some painting and repairing done in the tenements. They've needed it for a long time. The old director sprang to his feet. Aren't the stockholders going to have any rights then? He demanded. Within fifteen years we have had three years when we have passed our dividends, but the operatives never can lose a single day's pay. That was before my time, said the agent quietly. We have averaged nearly six and a half percent a year taking the last twenty years together and if you go back farther the average is even larger this has always been a paying property we've got our new machinery now and everything in the mills themselves is just where we want it i look for far better times after this next year but the market is glutted with goods of our kind and nothing is going to be gained by cutdowns and forcing lower cost goods into it still I can keep things going one way and another, making yarn and so on, he said, pleadingly. I should like to feel that we had this extra surplus. 
I believe that we owe it to our operatives. The director had walked heavily to the window and put his hands deep into his side pockets. He had an angry sense that the agent's hands were in his pockets, too. I've got some pride about that nine percent, sir, he said loftily to the agent. So have I, said the agent, and the two men looked at each other in the face. I acknowledge my duty to the stockholders, said the younger man presently. I have tried to remember that duty ever since I took the mills eight years ago, but we've got an excellent body of operatives, and we ought to keep them. I want to show them this next year that we value their help. If times aren't as bad as we fear, we shall still have the money. Nonsense! They think they own the mills now, said the director, but he was uncomfortable, in spite of believing he was right. Where's my hat? I must have my luncheon now, and afterward there'll hardly be time to go down and look at the new powerhouse with you. I must be off on the quarter-to-two train. The agent sighed and led the way. There was no use in saying anything more, and he knew it. As they walked along, they met old Mrs. Kilpatrick, returning from her brief noonday meal with little Maggie, whose childish face was radiant. The old woman recognized one of the directors and dropped him a decent curtsy, as she had been taught to salute the gentry sixty years before. The director returned the salutation with much politeness. This was really a pleasant incident, and he took a silver half-dollar from his pocket and gave it to the little girl before he went on. "'Cape it safe, darling,' said the old woman. "'You'll need it yet. Don't be spending all your money in sweeties. "'Tis a very cold world to them that has no pence in their pocket.' The child looked up at Mrs. Kilpatrick apprehensively. Then the sunshine of hope broke out again through the cloud. "'I am going to save fine till I buy a house, "'and you and me'll live there together, Mrs. Kilpatrick, "'and have a lovely coal fire all the time.' Fakes, Maggie. I have always thought some day I'd cape a pig and live pretty in me own house, said Mrs. Kilpatrick. But I'm the old sweeper yet and number two. Tis a world where some has and more wants, she added with a sigh. I got the mains for a good burying, the Lord be praised, and a bitteen more beside. I wouldn't have that if Father Daly was as cropping as some. Miss Mullins does always be scolding about Father Daly having all the collections, ventured Maggie, somewhat adrift in so great a subject. She's no right, then, exclaimed the old woman angrily. She'll get no luck to be grudging her pence that way. Tis hard work any priest would have to keep the likes of herself from being haythens altogether. There was a nine per cent annual dividend declared at the director's meeting the next week, with considerable applause from the board and sincere congratulations to the agent. He looked thinner and more sober than usual, and several persons present, whose aid he had asked in private, knew very well the reason. After the meeting was over, the senior director and largest stockholder shook hands with him warmly. About that matter you suggested to me the other day, he said, and the agent looked up eagerly. I consulted several of our board in regard to the propriety of it before we came down, but they all agreed with me that it was no use to cross a bridge until you come to it. Times look a little better, and the operatives will share in the accession of credit. 
to a mill that declares nine per cent this year i hope that we shall be able to run the mills with at worst only a moderate cut-down and they may think themselves very fortunate when so many hands are being turned off everywhere the agent's face grew dark i hope that times will take a better turn he managed to say yes yes answered the director good-bye to you mr agent i am not sure of seeing you again for some time he added with unusual kindliness i am an old man now to be hurrying round to board meetings and having anything to do with responsibilities like these my sons must take their turn there was an eager protest from the listeners and presently the busy group of men disappeared on their way to the train a nine per cent dividend naturally made the farley manufacturing company's stock go up a good many points and word came presently that the largest stockholder and one or two other men had sold out then the stock ceased to rise and winter came on apace and the hard times which the agent had foreseen came also end of part two